Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. It is my absolute privilege to share the pulpit with Nicola, my incredible wife of 30 years, and to be with you as people that we love and care for. We're in week three of an incredible series. Week one, Maruti Sai shared just about God being emotional, and I'm going to touch on emotions at the beginning. And last week, Greg shared about guarding your heart. This week, I was thinking about Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man, right? Yet you read about Jesus in Matthew 26, 27, and, and Jesus is... Very emotional. <laughs> I mean, he talks about how, um, how he's sorrowing and how he's burdened. And in the next chapter, you see him continue even more. And Matthew 26, verse 38, he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Now, this comforts me, actually. And it fortifies me. Jesus, as the perfect man, identifies his own emotions. <laughs> Have you ever heard of men being hangry? <laughs> Nicholas seen it <laughs> with me and the boys. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Are you hungry or are you angry? Hmm. If we are following the footsteps of Christ, we should be able to identify emotions. And Jesus does more than that. He, he articulates his emotions. He, he shares what he's feeling. And he's the perfect man. And yet he, he guards his heart. He doesn't just bomb everything onto social media. He expresses his heart to his disciples, to those three, to his closest. And he expresses his emotions in prayer. You know, so often we vent, but we don't pray. He pours out his heart to God and to his trusted friends. And the next chapter, on the cross, he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the goal, that even our emotions would be led and framed by the Word of God. Am I there yet? <laughs> I wish I was. But may each of us grow in the area of our hearts, of knowing what's in our heart, of expressing what's in our heart, of praying what's in our heart, and having our heart aligned to the Word of God. This week we're talking about owning our heart, permission to heal, and we're talking about shame and guilt in particular. So we're going to have a new liturgy here, here because it's a particularly South Africanism to say shame when, in, when anybody says something. So, so I'm going to tell you what happened to me this week, and you've got to respond shame, okay? Or akshem. Okay? And all of these things really happened, okay? I, I, I pulled my hamstring running. Thank you. I lost money on Northern shares this week. 
Nicholas said to me, you're losing all your hair, darling. Shame. Double shame. I have sinned and feel guilty and ashamed. Shame. <laughs> we use the word completely incorrectly. And I wanted this to stick. I wanted this to be sticky in your head. God doesn't want his sons and daughters to live in shame. He doesn't want you to carry guilt that you have confessed to the Father. Have you ever heard this? I know that God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Have you ever said that? Perhaps you, like me, have, have a problem with failure, with your own failure. Maybe there's a perfectionism in you. And you keep going down this path of wondering, why did you do it? And oh, I shouldn't have done that. And why did I do it? And you keep thinking about how you've let people down. You think of your sexual sins, your crimes, maybe it was an abortion. You think of what you've done and what you haven't done. Think of your betrayal, your lies to friends, to family. Think of how you've wasted years, wasted money, wasted your health. Healing starts with receiving God's forgiveness. But it moves on to us forgiving others and vitally it moves on to us forgiving ourselves. If God has forgiven you, who are you not to forgive yourself? Who are you? Not to fully forgive, including yourself, if Jesus has forgiven you, means that guilt and shame will persist. Total forgiveness, all guilt and shame, is like climbing North Cliff Hill. Few do it. But unlike North Cliff Hill, any Christian can do it. Maybe I should have said Kilimanjaro to make it a bit more impactful. <laughs> Total forgiveness. Few do it. But all can do it. The late Corrie Ten Boom spoke about a sign a massive sign for Christians that should be over your heart, that should be over your mind, and it's no entry. And no entry is that you don't go back to those places that God has forgiven. You don't go back there. What Jesus has washed away, what you have confessed, what you have brought to him, it's no entry. I'm supposed to be controlling the slides, I just remembered, Sorry. Come with me to the book of Genesis. And there's this principle called the law of first mention. When something is first mentioned, we do well because it's laying down foundations. Adam and Eve are created. God breathes upon them. They're placed in this garden, and they are glorious, and literally they're clothed in glory, and they are naked and unashamed. The serpent, Satan, comes and tempts Adam and Eve. He says, did God really say? They listen to his voice. They ignore the command of God. And they sin. And they concede to the devil. They want to become like God. 
They desire to be in a place where they decide what is right and wrong. And they don't trust the Lord. And they reap upon themselves the bitter consequences of sin. Devastating. Death. And we pick up and it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord, hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, this is the start of marital problems, like straight away. <laughs> the woman you put here with me, <laughs> she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Shame. <laughs> the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Nobody taking responsibility. Look at this. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They cook up their own plan, and it's pathetic. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. They cover themselves with fig leaves. This is the first arts and craft in its clothing design and manufacture. It's true in history. Did you know this? Fig leaves are very scratchy. Did you know that? Forgive me if I get the pronunciation wrong, but fig leaves cause phytophotodermatitis. Yikes. They cause itchiness, edema, edema, burning sensation and pain. They've got things called furocumarins and 5-methooxypasolerin and bergatol. I was also impressed. Shame. And this is what you're putting on your skin. Sorry? Vulnerable parts. We try to cover our sin. We try to cover our shame. We try to cover them with fig leaves and modern fig leaves. We tend to want to present the best part of ourselves and cover our worst. Sometimes we feel like we've got to pay for things, so we labor, and we do it in our own strength. We make fig leaf clothes. They're scratchy, they're incomplete, and they're wholly inadequate. The Bible says this in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tattoo that on your arm if you're struggling. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God comes to fellowship with them, and they're hiding. How do you hide? How do I hide? Maybe you hide in busyness, in prayerlessness, in work, in TikTok, in shopping, in sex, money, fun. God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Not that he doesn't know, but he wants them to identify where they are. Our hiding from God 
and our covering our shame is actually futile and it's devastating. It delays the healing and the cleansing and the renewal that God has for us. When confronted with sin, God says to them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? Instead of rushing to God, instead of running to God, instead of coming to God and saying, God, cover us, we're naked. Early church fathers say that there was glory over them. And because of their sin, the glory left. Instead of running to God, they hide from God. And they cover themselves with scratchy bits. And then, God, rich in mercy, does this. He makes garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothes them. This is the first physical death in the garden. An animal, a sacrificial lamb, is killed so that Adam and Eve would be clothed because now they're out of the garden and they're facing thorns and sunburn and insects and pain. And it's, in, it's indicative it's prophetic of Jesus as our great sacrificial lamb. So I'm going to talk about, um, you know, this covering, the, the, the full covering that God made um, for us. But first of all, I'm going to outline some definitions of guilt, shame, sin. And then we're also going to deal with false guilt and shame or misplaced guilt and shame. So the first definition of guilt is it's a result of having violated a specific rule or law. When you cross a moral, ethical, or legal line, we are guilty. This is true even if we did not know a line was crossed. Guilt is primarily a state or condition, a fact, or a feeling. So it can be all of those. It's an awareness of failure against a standard. It's saying, I feel... Um, guilty because I've, I've done something guilty. I've done something wrong. It's generally action-based, and it's a result of sin. And, you know, today we live in this culture where that word sin, uh, people are very intolerant towards this, this word. People are easily offended by it. People don't like it. They say, you know, they don't like being called out. They don't like it that you use that word. And they say, you know, that's your truth, not mine, as if, it's, as if it's just an opinion. And so this word becomes very politically incorrect in, in our culture today. Um, but the truth is, is that even though it's seen as very politically incorrect, it's very biblically correct, because there's no changing the truth of God. And so the next one is the, the definition of shame. Shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of guilt, failure, or impropriety that often results in a paralyzing conviction, belief that one is worthless, of no value to others, or to God, unacceptable, and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. Shame is the sense of failure before the eyes of someone else. It is primarily, um, it is primarily feeling bad about who you are, and by internalizing it, it becomes your identity. 
And then it's important for us to acknowledge that there's this false sense of guilt and shame, and we can also call it misplaced. And that's when someone else has done something wrong to you. And I know that many of us carry shame in that way, not because of what we've done, but because of what someone's done to us. And we've assumed responsibility for it. Or lies have been spoken over us. Or unkind, unfair things. There can even be damaging views in your culture that cause a sense of shame. And these voices are stuck in your head. You know, shame is one of the most difficult emotions that can affect you. And often it's hard to spot in your own life. And yet it pervades all areas of your life because there's this continuous use of energy and time trying to keep whatever it is from being exposed. Or using your energy, you know, so that you don't feel vulnerable to this thing that you're not uncovered. The enemy loves to surround us with lies. He's called the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he uses every chance he can get to try and discredit you in some way. You know, on the surface, these lies might make sense because of something that you've done. And so you might not worry about the lies at first. But then you just end up closing the door to that part of your heart that's hurting from the mistake or something that's been done to you. And often we stick our proverbial fingers in our ears because we want to shut out those voices and those reminders. No one needs to know, right? No one needs to find out, we tell ourselves. And besides, we need to get on with life. And so as time goes on, we realize that this guilt and shame, they aren't actually buried behind closed doors, are they? Because it starts to come out and pervade your life in a sense that even though no one else might know yet, there's this internal torment going on inside your own head and you find yourself in this prison of condemnation. And this prison of condemnation robs you from the vibrant, joyful life in relationship with God and with others. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8. She was guilty. There was no excuse and no way out. Caught in the act, they grabbed her hands, they dragged her into the street publicly. Everyone in town putting her in a terrible choice on display. Look at what this woman has done, they shouted. Can you believe she's done such a despicable thing? Her shoulders slumped lower in shame and she falls to her knees in weakness. In moments, she would be stoned. She's utterly lost, empty, and her soul feels wretched. But then Jesus, God in the flesh, saw her. His gaze wasn't condemning, wasn't harsh, and he spoke the words that silenced her accusers in a moment. Then he blessed her with words that conveyed both forgiveness and freedom. Where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. And the same Jesus that caught the woman in the act of adultery and forgave her is the same God that wants to offer forgiveness to you and I today. Freedom and hope. No matter what we have done or what has been done to us. And I don't know what that something is for you. And Rogers mentioned many, you know, could be that secret financial 
debt, um, sexual past, sexual presence, and addiction, pornography, masturbation, the way you feel about your body, something you did a long time ago, something done to you, a mental health issue, something you said, something you didn't say. But whatever it is, the enemy will take those lies and will multiply them and tell you that you're flawed, you're broken, you're always lacking, you're not enough, you'll never measure up. So let's process this guilt and shame or misplaced guilt and shame for something that you haven't done but was done to you in a healthy way. And let's look at the ultimate example. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See there, God calls us to lay aside every weight and every sin, every weight, the weight of shame that can crush us, the weight of guilt and sin. And it says, let us run. Whose race? My race. I'm not running Roger's race. I'm not running Chantal's race. I'm running my race. And how does the author of Hebrews call us to run? With endurance. That word endurance, <laughs> it means commitment. It means not giving up. It means to keep going despite the obstacles and the difficulties along the path. And then let's look at that word looking. That means fixing your eyes on Jesus. And in the Greek, that's a verb. That looking means to actually turn aside from everything else and that you're focused, solely focused, in present continuous tense. That means you're not even looking at the distractions on the racetrack. You're not looking at the other competitors. Never stop looking on the one who ever looks on you. And then it says, for the joy set before him. You know, Jesus didn't regard the, the cross as a joy, but he could look past the horror of that cross to the joy beyond it. The joy of a redeemed, rescued people in adoration and praise eternally to God. He endured the most agonizing experience so that he could endure it for our sake and come through the other end with triumph. Despising the shame. You know, the cross was not just the cruelest form of punishment and death, but it was designed to humiliate and bring ultimate shame uh, to the person on that cross. We know that, you know, to be in complete agony with your body torn and then to be nailed to crossbeams, lifted up naked in front of everybody, and that's the way you die. Jesus did not welcome that shame. He despised it. He scorned it. He had contempt for it. And then he won the victory over it. He knew what he had to do because he knew the weight of that on our lives and that it would be too much for us to bear. And so he won the victory over it. 
Let's look at shame as a significant trial. He bore a shameful accusation. You know, even though Herod and, and Pilate said that they could find no guilt on him, the people continued to accuse him, and there was blasphemy against him. He bore a shameful mocking. We know from the fists, um, uh, you know, and all the accusations, the shameful beating, um, those 39 lashes was just a start. He wore a shameful crown, the crown of thorns that was pushed down into his temples, and he bore, uh, wore, it should be, a shameful robe. And that was, you know, just briefly where they put that purple robe on him, mocking his kingship, and then stripped him of it, and he was naked again. Daniel 12.2 says that shame will be an aspect of the terrors of hell. But Jesus bore this hellish shame to secure our redemption. We know that the sky turned black. God turned his face away. And Jesus bore every past, present, and future sin upon himself for you and for me. In an act of surrender, it was done, it was finished, it was paid for. And then Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's look at the next slide. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Two, in both of those there is sorrow, but with different outcomes. Because sorrow in itself doesn't achieve anything. But the godly sorrow brings redemption. Uh, repentance. God is prompting our hearts. We should be grateful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of God that allows us, it's his kindness that brings us to repentance so that we can deal with our guilt and with our shame. And so we can't grow spiritually without repentance because it's hard to follow him when you're involved in things that he's against for good reason. And friends, we've got to respond to it quickly, the prompting of the Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance. Because if we don't, we harden our hearts. And then we stop sensing his promptings. And that's where it's so dangerous, this intolerance of the word sin. Because people don't want to receive it there's such a danger because where there's no problem, there is no solution. And so worldly sorrow really brings uh, just, a, you know, tears and, and bad feelings that often produces resentment and bitterness, and it usually ends up just in another cycle of sin. Thank you, Tony. There's something just as bad as being completely led by your emotions. There's something just as bad, and that is being emotionless. I've read a book recently, R.T. Kendall, called Total Forgiveness. And so I've modified some of it. And I want to give you just eight reasons why you should completely forgive yourself. I'm assuming you've repented. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that God does not oppress. 
Why should we completely forgive ourselves? Because it is exactly, precisely what God wants us to do. That's why we should forgive ourselves. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Don't try to pay for your sins. You can't do it. And he's done it. He's paid for your sins. Paul persecuted Christians, and he was part of murder and torture of them. And yet he said this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have attained all of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Don't be bitter with yourself, unforgiving of yourself. The Word of God says, a bruised reed he will not break. Smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Receive his forgiveness. And this is why Jesus came. His mandate was to set the captives free. To proclaim liberty to the oppressed. And my laptop just went sideways. But now it's back. Second reason why you should completely forgive yourself. Because it's exactly what the devil doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to forgive yourself. The devil wants you first to sin, to rebel, to indulge, and then once you've done that, then he flicks it around and he condemns you and he pours shame on you and he holds you in shame. It's like the drug dealer. The first one's for free. Okay? He wants you to sin and then he wants to hold you in that condemnation. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and he's busy dealing with sin in the church. And he says, I have forgiven. Paul's saying, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. He's saying, Satan wants to outwit us. He's got schemes. And what is his scheme? What is his scheme? To keep us in a place of shame. And to keep us in a place of guilt. That is what the devil wants to do to you. Third reason. You will receive inner peace and freedom from the bondage of guilt. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there there is liberty. We are called to live in liberty. We are called to live in that peace that passes all understanding. That's what God has for you. No longer carrying guilt. No longer carrying shame, but free from it. Fourthly, the degree to which you forgive yourself may directly impact your usefulness to God. Let me say to you, rise up, warrior of God. Rise up. Be who God has called you to be. Leave the past behind you and become useful, become a vessel of honor for Him. That is what God has for you. And the degree to which you hold on and don't forgive yourself causes you to become less and less useful for God. Totally forgiving yourself will also help you love people more. Verse Matthew 19, verse 19, love your neighbor as yourself. The emphasis isn't about loving yourself, it's about loving your neighbor. People twist it around. But it is saying love your neighbor as you love yourself. We should love ourselves. Hurt people, hurt people. If somebody's hurt, they hurt other people. But love people. 
love people. And we are called to be little Jesus. That's why we call Christians. <laughs> Showing forth the love of God to people all around us. And if you carry huge condemnation, guilt and shame, you're just not going to be able to do it. People will like you more when you have forgiven yourself. Maybe that's not important to you. There's a difference between loving yourself and self-love. Self-love is a preoccupation with yourself. But loving self is respecting yourself as God intends you to. And we're meant to live in that. Loving self is a healthy way. And it brings authenticity and it brings grace and it brings kindness and love, which others can see and others can feel. Second last, it will aid your physical, mental, and emotional health. My late mother uh, passed away from cancer. And when she was first diagnosed, it was a particular form of brain cancer. When she was first diagnosed with it, she saw an uh, oncologist, specialist in cancer treatment, and a secular guy, and he said, is there bitterness and unforgiveness? Do you have any towards people, or do you have unforgiveness towards yourself? Why was he saying that? I asked him, he said, because he sees the correlation. He's not a believer. Okay? He's an atheist or an agnostic. He sees the correlation between unforgiveness and, and cancer. Psychiatrist, psychologist, there's high blood pressure. There's consequences to you not forgiving yourself. And it's going to affect your mental, your physical, and your emotional health. And lastly, we should forgive ourselves. Because our spiritual condition, our spiritual state is at stake. These are the two deadly sins, self-righteousness and self-pity. But we are called to forgive as the Lord has forgiven. As the Lord has forgiven you, walk in that forgiveness. Friends, it's a time now for healing. It's a time now for healing. And I believe there's three categories of people here today. Some of you haven't repented. So you're feeling guilty because you are guilty. <laughs> and what you need to do is come to Jesus and receive his cleansing. That's one group. That's making a commitment to follow Christ and acknowledge his lordship. And receive him as your savior. That's group one. Normally a very small group. Second group are those who you're following after Jesus, but you can't seem to shake the shame and guilt. And we're going to trust today for the Holy Spirit to touch you. Through the laying on of hands, that this being plagued with guilt and shame stuff that you've done, but you've confessed, but it just keeps sticking on you, we're going to trust through the laying of hands that goes. And in the third group, you've done nothing at all. People have done stuff to you. Or you're associated with people that have done stuff or haven't done stuff. And so you're carrying this pseudo-shame. 
and the pseudo-guilt. I'd like to ask us all to stand, please. It's logistical, and I'd like the ministry team to please come forward now and connect leaders. Please come forward now. We got a keyboardist. Thank you. Jesus, you are here to heal, to take away our shame, to cleanse us, forgive us, and set us free, Lord God, from real guilt and false guilt, and real shame and, and pseudo shame. Pray, Jesus, even now through the simple laying of hands and through confessing and through sharing and through just saying what we're feeling, Lord God, Jesus, you would minister. Deliverance would come. So if you're in any of those three categories, you're carrying guilt and shame and you know you shouldn't, just come forward. You're carrying guilt and shame, you've confessed it and it just keeps plaguing you. And you feel far from the Lord, but, but you love Him and you want Him. Just come forward now. Well, you've never confessed, you've never repented, and so the burden of sin and shame remains on you. Won't you come forward now? And we're going to have a time of ministry, so don't delay. We are trusting the Lord to meet with you right now. Just come forward to whoever you want to, and they will pray for you. moment for the body to minister don't stay in your guilt don't stay in your shame don't stay in your false shame the Lord is here if you're not coming forward just turn to somebody next to you and just pray for them turn to your friend turn to your husband Turn to your family and just pray for them. Pray for liberty, pray for freedom, pray for joy. front just pray for those at the front just stand with us pray for them now for deliverance for healing for liberty to come thank you father that you take our guilt and our shame father whether deserved or undeserved father Thank you that your outstretched arms paid the ultimate price. That the humiliation that you endured, you despised the shame. You scorned it. You looked upon it with content because you wanted us to be free of the crushing weight of sin and shame. And so thank you, Father, 
that you did a complete work, Lord Jesus, and by the blood of Christ, we are cleansed. And we don't have to walk with our our heads down any longer, but we can walk with our heads held high, knowing that you paid the victory, Father God. You break chains, you destroy bondages. No one can point a finger at us when we're covered by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for everything that you've done. Amen. Lord, as we we go out, may we live healthily. May our hearts be whole. Lord, may we guard our hearts. May we steward our hearts. May we, may we live the life that we're called to live. May we be free from guilt and shame. And may we live in your presence, live in your joy, live in your power. Live before you in the fullness that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.